You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. It's so huge. It's so deep. It's so important. Uh, and I think it is, it is, he really captures God's heart here in a way that he, he just challenges me to the core. He shakes me here in this. Uh, and so I want us to, to pray. Uh, and then uh, as soon as we pray, then uh, Christina's going to come up. And she's going to share the two-minute teaching today uh, with you. So I'm excited to hear what she has to, to share with us as well. All right, let's just pray together this morning. Get our hearts ready. God, we do love you so much. And we're so grateful for all that you give to us through, through uh, your word. And we pray that our hearts are open this morning, that you give us a very teachable spirit. Lord, that you give us humility today to receive your word uh, in the most right way. We pray that your word today would be powerful in our minds and in our hearts to bring transformation to us. We ask you to help us, strengthen us today, God. Let us be encouraged and yet challenged, Lord, uh, to take on what you are bringing to us today and, and apply it to our own lives and walk it out day by day, doing the things that we hear and the things that we speak forth, God. Help us, Lord, that we are obedient servants in all that we do. Help us to reach this neighborhood you've put us in. Help us to reach this city in, in a very impacting way. Help us to, to glorify your name and be a witness for you in the earth, God. Help us, Lord, to, to have our prayers anointed, Lord, so that we are effective, Lord, uh, in, not only in, in praying, but, uh, but pushing back the kingdom of darkness, Lord, and, and ushering in the kingdom of light, God. We need you desperately, and we depend upon you completely. So today, be glorified in this time as we teach and preach uh, from your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's welcome Christina and the two minute teaching today. All right? <laughs> there you go. Wow, I wish I would get that response from my students. That would be awesome. <laughs> um, uh, today's question is What languages were the Bi- was the Bible written in? Um, and there are three languages that the Bible was written in. Uh, the Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew. Um, Hebrew was the written and spoken language of ancient Israel. It's um, grammatically kind of a primitive language, which uh, I like. Uh, makes it easier to learn, in my opinion. And, um, and most of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. However, there um, were a few passages written in Aramaic, The book of Daniel was written in Aramaic and some passages in the book of Ezra. Um, And Aramaic is very closely related to Hebrew, but but is the language of the Assyrians. And so um, became common through the conquest of the Assyrians. Um, Because there are some Aramaic words in the New Testament, it is uh, understood that Jesus and the disciples commonly spoke Aramaic. Um, The New Testament was written in the language of Greek, which became kind of the language of the known world after the conquest of Alexander the Great, around 300 BC. So uh, Greek was commonly spoken in the Roman Empire uh, by everyone, though certainly Jesus and the apostles would have also known Hebrew. Uh, And there is an important translation of the Old Testament into Greek that's called the Septuagint um, that was commonly used during that time period as well. So these are the languages of the scriptures, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and um, they're incredibly important. It's important to be able to uh, study the Bible in the languages that it was written in. This is why I tell my students who are thinking about seminary that they should go to a seminary that will require them to learn Hebrew and Greek, whether they want to or not. Um, 
But I, I just want to close by saying that even though the languages are incredibly important and that this, this is the way that God has communicated with us, um, that these words in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic um, become the living word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing special about Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic any more than there is English or Chinese or Spanish or anything like that. But the Holy Spirit um, uses these words to bring uh, the true and living God to his people. And, um, and that's, that's why the words of the Bible matter. I love the two-minute teachings. I learn a lot when we have these, and uh, they're, they're really fun. Uh, and I hope you're getting something out of them as well. So uh, thank our resident theologians uh, for their, uh, their willingness to get up here and share uh, these, these little insights and these tidbits with you. Um, I always take something, something home with me from them. Um, all right, let's, let's look at James here today, and we're going to go into chapter 2. Again, the scriptures during this series are not on the screen for you. We really want you in your Bible, all right? And uh, uh, no offense to the screen or doing that. We do that oftentimes, most of the time. Um, but we're, con- we're going to kind of challenge you to get into the Word and, and get into your Bible and use your, your Bible for a little bit here. So I'll have you turning back and forth to a few things here this morning. Um, you know, there, there's an amazing uh, word in Scripture, and it has several different meanings. Uh, only one of which we're going to really look at today briefly. Uh, But it's a most powerful word, and it's so overused today. And I think it's maybe one of the most overused words uh, in society today because we use it for just about everything, you know. And anybody have any idea what that word is? Love, exactly. That is the word. It's very, very, you know, we love everything, you know. Uh, We love mint toothpaste. Um, you know, um, my wife loves uh, boxes, you know, like she loves an apple box from Hy-Vee because she can put stuff in it, you know, so she just loves an apple box as opposed to loving a Kleenex box or whatever that has purpose to her, she, she just loves that, you know. Um, so I love my Jeep, I, I just, I, I, I want to die in a Jeep. I don't mean that in any morbid kind of way. I just like, when I die someday, I just want to own a Jeep, and maybe I'm just sitting in it, and, and God just says, Bill, come be with me. And I'll go, okay, you know, and, and just go or something, you know. But I love my Jeep. I mean, when I get in my Jeep in the mornings, this is, I'm very serious now. When I get in my Jeep in the mornings, I thank God for my Jeep. Uh, I, I always thank God for my Jeep because I am so thrilled to have it. I've wanted one for years. I finally, you know, went through my midlife crisis and got it. That was, I figured that was the excuse I could use to really, you know, justify getting one. So turned turned 55 and started searching, you know, and um, 56, got it. Okay, so love my Jeep. I love it, it's, and I do. I love it. You know, that's the word I, I use for that, you know. Some people love the sand on the beach. Some people love the sunrises. Some people love their, their grandchildren. Some people love music. You know, I mean, we just love, love, love everything to the point that this word love is really sort of neutralized. In, in, because, see, for God so loved the world. And I'm going to tell you what, you don't love your box like God loved the world. I don't love my Jeep like God loved the world, you know. I mean, if the guy said, this Jeep is great, you can have it, just die for it. You know, 
my, my ability to love pales in comparison to God's ability to love me and you. And, and so I, I think this is a word that, that constantly has to sort of be uh, sort of renewed for us. You know, it constantly needs to be, be uh, redefined in, in some sense uh, for us and that we, we really understand this, this, this word, okay? And, and then I want to talk about that a little bit today because really what I'm talking about today is loving people. And I think that's really what James is, is talking about here in this passage. And uh, it, it's, it, it's a passage that deals with the idea of not showing partiality or not showing favoritism, all right? And, um, and I, I hope that it really rivets you when we get into this here in a, in a few minutes, all right? Because I think that, that James is saying this is something I want you to pay really serious attention to because this is a very important biblical subject, all right? This isn't just a social issue. This is a biblical issue. This is a God issue. This is, this is an issue that is close to God's heart. Uh, so close that he definitely addresses it in, in numerous places within the scriptures. And he really challenges the New Testament church in it. And I think that these words ne- absolutely must challenge you and I. And, and we have to really look at this idea of, of how we respond to the world. How we respond to people in the world. How we respond to our own neighborhood. You know, how we respond within our own families and our family dynamics, all right? Uh, but in particular here, we are, we are talking about in chapter 2 of James, a very, a very practical example here of, of how faith in Christ should affect our lives, all right? So we see what we should do and we see what we shouldn't do. And oftentimes that's what happens as we look at these kinds of scriptures is they begin to tell us how we should live. And so we, sometimes we're told this is what you need to do, and sometimes we're told that this is what you shouldn't do, all right? It does, that doesn't mean it's a very negative thing, or that is, it, 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 we're, we're going back to the law, and it's all about doing and, and, and not doing. We are under grace, all right? We live in the freedom of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but in the context of that freedom, there are some very definitive things that we must adhere to if we're going to be like Jesus, and we're going to be effective as Jesus was effective. And he shows that, that the man or woman who has been saved by faith here, the uh, faith in Christ Jesus alone and nothing else, all right, has an obligation to show that faith, all right, to demonstrate that faith, to live that faith out, if you will. And one of the ways that that happens is in a genuine love for other people, all right? Not a genuine love for a few people, not a genuine love for certain people. But a, I believe he is calling us for a genuine love for all others. All right? And, and God is all about this thing of love. All right? It's, it's huge for him. God loved us so much that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. So that if we would receive him, if we would confess him and receive him and, and turn from our sins, we would be saved. All right? That's the, that's the kind of love that, that he has shown to us. So I want us to just, just begin here. Let's, in, in verse 1, he says, Brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. It's blunt, plain, simple. Just don't do it, okay? Don't show 
favoritism. This is the exhortation that we have here, all right? As believers, you don't do this. This is not a way for you and I to live, all right? As belie- if we are truly believers, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, this is not the way we should find ourselves relating and living with those around us. We shouldn't be showing any kind of partiality or any kind of discrimination, all right? And, and he, he gives this wonderful illustration here, all right, uh, beginning in verse 7. And so there's this little box here uh, for, for uh, I mean, in verse 2. There, there's this little box here of a few verses here that, that we want to look at. All right, he says, now, let's put it in this context. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. So the idea is that they're coming in fairly close to one, one another or at, at the same time. If you show special attention to the man wearing the clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there, stand there, or sit, sit on the floor there, all right, by, by, by my feet. Then he poses this question, have you not discriminated? All right? Now, here's, here's what... I, I want you to, to, to get out of this particular passage here is that he's addressing uh, a, a dynamic that seemed to be able to happen in the New Testament church, all right, or in the assembly, all right? And, and, and that's kind of where he's going here, when you meet together, when you assemble together, all right? It's the same kind of word that's, that's the, uh, the, the Greek word that's, that, that's used in Hebrews when it talks about for, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, all right? Keep, keep uh, meeting together. It's, it's the meeting place. It's where you gather, all right? So this isn't a, a, even a private, secret situation. It, it's, it's public. When you're, when you're there in that group, in that multitude of people, when you're with those people that are like you, when, you, when you're gathering for the same purposes, when you have the, the same heart and the same mind, and, you, and you're all in there together, and, and two people come in, how are you going to respond to those two individuals in that meeting? All right? And, and I think that this illustration is very graphic in the sense that it, it basically kind of uh, uh, is, is showing us favoritism or discrimination based really on economics here. Here's a guy who's well-dressed. He obviously has some form of, of wealth or at least he, he is, is, you know, successful in some way. And then here's this guy over here who doesn't appear to be that way, all right? And so he's told to be in a different place, all right? Or, or, or to stand in a, in a different place, all right? And, and so he's saying here, you shouldn't, you shouldn't show favoritism. Don't, don't show this, all right? You've, you've, you've discriminated among yourselves. But not only that, in verse, in verse uh, 4, he says, you have become judges, not only that, but judges with evil thoughts. That is very uh, challenging to me. That is very, uh, very, that that shakes me a bit. uh, When we think that we are the church, we are the bride of Christ. And we we shift suddenly, we we move in some direction here suddenly, all right? The the, the Greek word here uh, uh, that that sort of has this idea of showing favoritism or partiality is is a word that, that means to lift up the face, all right? And what it means is that when someone walks into the room, uh, you respond to them, p- perhaps almost in an inordinate way, um, you, you respond to them in such a way to get a response back from them, all right? So there's kind of this, 
this thing that's going on between the two of you. It's almost like uh, something that in a non-sexual way is a flirtatious kind of thing. Oh, you look good. You know, oh, glad, glad to have you here. Look at you, you know. And, and so there's this, there's this dynamic that's going on that causes this person to lift their head. It causes them, it stimulates them in such a way that they feel very good about themselves. They are feeling good now because they've come in. And, and, and here's the thing. You and I want to make people feel good about themselves. I preach that to you. Being life-giving is seeing the good in someone. Caring about someone. Loving someone. Giving them the benefit of the doubt. Covering their multitude of sin with love. Showing mercy over judgment. All these are things that I say we do because we're life church and because we're life giving. And we want to stay with that. But somewhere in this dynamic that he is talking about, there is, there is an ungodly, unholy motive behind this idea of lifting up or building up. And it is because someone has decided that this person is a better person than someone else. So see, it's all coming back to the heart of man. It's all coming back to a motive that is behind the actions that we are displaying in the relationship that we are going in or are developing with someone. So how do we as the body, as life givers, how do we respond to someone who comes in the door, who's new or who is different or who isn't like us? Or maybe is carrying something that we don't like, or we don't agree with, or we're not comfortable with. How do we respond to that person as opposed to someone who walks in the door and has all the appearance of being very affluent and very influential and very successful in some way? And are our motives pure when we are life-giving? Because I'm going to tell you something. If your motive isn't pure when you're life-giving, you're not life-giving. And if your motive is impure, when you're trying to be life-giving, you're going to bring death, not life. Because you're going to bring hurt and disappointment. Are you feeling challenged already? Because I am. (laughs) I'm being real honest with you. I want us us to lay this on the table today, all right? Because I think this is an issue in all of church. This isn't just, I'm I'm not throwing an indictment against you and I. This just happens to be where we're at in James, okay? But I think it's here. I think it's there. I think it's everywhere. And I think it's a big issue that we as Life Church want to conquer. We want to we get beyond this. We want to be a church that has a witness. We want to be a church that has a testimony. We want to be a church that has our salvation. All right? We're not back under some law and being judged by the law because we're living outside of, of the grace and the mercy of God because we, we've given ourselves over to something else. Okay? Do, do, are, you, are you following me here? Let's... Let's search our hearts now, okay? So let's go back into the scripture and let's really search our hearts here and let's be challenged over the next few minutes, all right, about this idea of showing partiality and and judging the motive of our heart rather than judging the individual who comes in the door, all right? I think this is really, really going to hit us like hard, right? Right between the eyes, okay? All right. In this illustration, they're saying, you, you sit over here, you sit over here. So there's this idea of, of actually dividing. There's a, there's a divisiveness about this, this sort of seedy motive uh, that, that we might have. All right? Now, what I want you to understand is, is, is he, 
he gave this, this wonderful illustration, this very graphic illustration about, about uh, sort of uh, the, the economics uh, behind two people here, you know, and the, guys, the, the one guy's bright and, in his clothing and well-dressed and all of that. The other guy's dirty, uh, got clothes from much use and, and wear and, and tear, all right. And it's, but he makes this, this division based on this idea of, of sort of like, well, this guy, uh, he, he, he's, he's worked and he's... he's successful and he deserves a good place and this guy is sort of like lazy or 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 whatever and and, and he's over here and and so he just needs to be relegated to a place all right there's a difference between you deserve a place and you're relegated to a place all right and that is that is that is not jesus jesus never in that place if you are relegated to a place if if jesus was in that mode in that mindset and that motive of you are just relegated to a place he would never have died for your sins he would have never bought you with the price of his own life if he just wanted to relegate. Because you see, you were sinners. You were yet a sinner, still a sinner when Christ died for you. So if he had just relegated you to a sinner, he would, he would, have, he would have delegated you to this place of sinfulness and, 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 and you could have stayed there. But he died in order that you might have a preferred place because the Bible says that we are seated with him in heavenly places. All right? Because of Christ, we have a different position than, than what we had before. But here's the thing. Discrimination ha- can happen. This, 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 this partiality, it, it can be shown in so many different forms. It can come to us in race. It can come to us in education. It can come to us in age. It can come to us in uh, nationality. It can come to us... This, is, this one is so insidious in my opinion. We all can pick our own out of the, the list. In morality. We start judging people's morals and we decide some deserve to to have a good place and some don't deserve to have a good place and there's many there, there's other things as well it, it isn't which one that is important today it's the fact that it is done and that we as a church are guilty of doing this all right that that we we allow this this sort of thing to happen or even we are a culprit in in this thing and i want to challenge you and i as life church that, that we hear what James is saying here, all right? And that we begin to respond by, first of all, searching our own heart. Looking at, at where we are in terms of how we have related to other people when they come into the church, all right? Especially sinners. <laughs> how many of you look at someone when they come in and you just size them up right there? Oh, my goodness. Look at that person. How many, don't literally answer this, but answer it in your own heart. But, you know, how many times have you, have you just written someone off because they were a sinner? Be honest about it. I've done it. How many times have you looked at someone and said they'll never get saved? You know, you just, you, in your heart, you just thought. It was the thought that came to you is uh, they won't get saved. They, they, they'll never accept Jesus, you know. How many times have you, have you heard someone's story? You know, they start telling you about their life, and you're just like, oh, my goodness. And you're already you're thinking about your exit. I'd, for real? You know? Yeah. I, I need to get out of here. I need to get away from this. You know? How many times has someone walked in Life Church 
and you thought in your heart before you could catch your own thought, oh, I don't want them here. Oh, they're dangerous. Oh, that's not a good person to be here. Think about that. Let, let, God, let God put a picture. Let, let God put a face. Just to, let a face come across your mind for a moment. I've been repenting for three days. Just because I know my heart is wicked. See, we all got an idea of what church ought to be, who ought to be in it, how it ought to form and shape, and we all have our dream church. And, and invariably, God will send someone to bust your bubble and, and mess up your dream church. Because God does that. You know? See, Jesus is perfect, but nothing else is. And when we try to make perfect, God has a way of helping us see imperfection. And I wonder, and I say this, I've said this numerous times to this church, have you been saved so long that you forgot what it was like to be a sinner? Have you, have you forgotten where you came from? Now, there's a couple of Mary Poppins in here, you know, practically perfect in every way. I understand that. You can't relate to what I'm saying right now. That's okay. I appreciate you. I really do. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't marry. Not even close. And I believe that God has put us in a, in, in, in a, a, a vision and in a, a ministry where he wants to reach hurting people. He wants to reach down and out people. He wants to reach marginalized people. He, he wants to, to reach people who are unattractive. And I believe he's done that because he believes, he knows that he can trust us with that if he can help us with a few things. This is one of them. So welcome to James. All right? Welcome, welcome to the place of conviction. All right? See, when, when, when God's... Let, let's look at verse 4. Have you not discriminated then? When you, when you do this, what, this, this little story he just gave, when you do this, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? All right? When, when God's people make distinctions such as these kinds of things, all right? And James uses a, a word here that means self-divided or doubtful, all right? When we, when we create this environment that is, is, is self-divided, it's, it's a very doubtful environment, then, then we are no longer motivated by love. When we're, really willing to, when, we, when we're willing to corral people in our heart, and we do this occasionally where people will come in and we'll... we'll We'll smile as though to welcome. We'll nod as though to welcome. But we're sitting in our corral. And we would, no offense to any of you, all right? Most of you sit in the same place all the time or somewhere very near there. Very disturbed that someone got your seat, but you'll get as close to it as you can. You know, you love that. You're human beings, okay? Come on. Let's laugh at ourselves a little bit and let's cry about ourselves a little bit, okay? This is the reality that we are human and we do, we do things, we're creatures of habit, and we do those kinds of things, okay? So some of you have your own corral here, and you sit in your corral, unless someone has taken your spot, and then you are forced into another corral. It's a very difficult Sunday for you, but God bless you, okay? 
You know, but you come into your corral and you see that person walk in the door and you know they're not for your corral and you just start to pray, God, please let them sit in the other side. Put them in another corral. Don't put them in mine. Some of you cringe when Pastor Dave does life groups because you don't know who's going to be in your life group and you're just like, oh, what if he puts some person in my life group and you have an image of what that person would be like. That's favoritism. That is more than favoritism. That is judgment. That is saying, I know better than God who I need to be around me. Therefore, I make the decision now. So God, move over. I was driving once, not in the Jeep, this is before the Jeep. Because I would have been stubborn if I was in the Jeep. But I was driving once, I'm not a good driver. I'm a very bad driver. I do weird things, like I stop at green lights and I go through red lights. I don't think about, I, I don't mean to, it's, it's, I just do it every once, not, not all the time. I mean, it's not like the, the tornado siren should sound off every time I get in the car or something like that, you know, warn society. It's just once in a while I do, I do things that are not, not good. And I'm, very, I, I'm one of those very preoccupied people, so I'm not a good driver. And I, I know that, so I have, to, I have to try to be attentive, you know. And, and I was riding with, with a friend, and, and he did, he, he said, stop the car. I thought, thought something had happened, so I stopped, you know, pulled over, I stopped the car, and, and, and he goes, get out, move, move, get out, and I said, what, 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 and I get out of the car, thinking, he's caring about me, and, and there's something wrong, like, there, is there a snake in the car, is there a bug, or is, is it on fire, or what, yeah. and he just slides under the driver's seat, and he said, get on the other side, I'm driving, <laughs> he said, you are an absolute test in faith. We do that with God. Obviously, God, you can't drive this, this, this vehicle good enough. You, you, you're not the one who needs to make the decisions about the direction here. So move over because we judge. See, when you judge, you have usurped the position of God because God is the only true, the only true and good judge. Only God can judge the soul of a man and judge it right and judge in mercy I know they're earthly judges and, and they judge under a, a system of law and there are good judges and bad judges there they're judges with good motives and judges with bad judges uh, motives and there, so there's a good judge and a bad judge you may have experienced one or the other of those in your own life at one point in time but God is ultimately the judge of men's souls we are not and we have no right to judge we have no right to put ourselves in that position to judge all right but but james says when you do this when you show this partiality when you discriminate you have yourselves become judges with evil thoughts or evil motives if you will because your intent is to remove that person from you in some capacity and we do that even when we come in and we look around to see who's sitting where And we decide to sit somewhere else because we want our little circle of space to only have certain people in it. This is challenging because I'm going to tell you what, Jesus don't do it that way. 
that isn't like Jesus. And James, James understands this. See, I think James understood something. James was living in a very perilous time, as we talked about early on in, in the book. He's writing to a very fragmented church. You know, it's been dispersed, and people are, are all out there. And James understands that, that the body of Christ needs each other and that there are those who have what other people need and that it is, it is very important that we don't look down on someone else in this, this body that has been dispersed out there, but we have great need of each other. I realize the times are different that we are living in, and we live in a different culture and a different societal norm than what was in, in, in the New Testament, but folks, we are just as responsible to the truth of God's Word as were the New Testament people. We're not any different in that sense. We're obligated to truth. We're obligated to live this truth out. And we're obligated to, to not only have faith in God, but to demonstrate that faith. See, we, we are saved, not by those works. But if we are saved, those works will be demonstrated by us. All right? Doing this isn't what's going to save you. It's going to refine you. And it's going to help you to live under mercy. But this is, this is absolutely the heart of God right here, is that we get off the thrones of judgment. See, when we show favoritism, it indicates something, all right? It indicates that our motives are not pure, that, that we're, we're motivated by some very selfish considerations as a body of Christ, all right? We, we quit being people of love, seeking you know, to, to, to save others. And we become people of selfishness who judge others. And that's a dangerous dynamic. That's a, that's a toxic, poisonous dynamic to fall into. And the enemy would love that. The enemy would absolutely love that you and I begin to divide the body of Christ in such manners to show favoritism and partiality. When we show this partiality, we become the judges of who is worthy of our own association, but also we, we become the judges of the, the, the efforts rather than the people. We put value on our own efforts. We, we devalue the efforts of others. I remember dealing with one of my children when they were they were a little younger, and I kept saying, "Well, you didn't do this, and and, and you didn't do that, and you came up short here, and you came up short there, you know, and all day long." And and somehow I think in the back of my head I knew I was just you know I was just riding them, you know, I was just just riding them hard. And uh, they turned around at one point and just said, "Dad." Can you say anything good about me today? And it, it, it just gripped me. Because I, I had just decided to put myself in that position to judge every action. And to find out where they were coming up short. And I wonder how many times someone has walked into a church... And believers have looked at that person and said, yeah, well, they do this and they do that. And, you know. 
I bet some of you people have come into church and you've walked by them and said, oh, they smell like cigarettes. Well, I'm not going to sit near them. That will bother me. You have a whole lot of love going on there, isn't it? It's flowing. I know that girl. I've seen her. She's, she's, she's down there in front of Munchies. She's always flirting with guys down there in front of Munchies. Now she's pregnant. Well, I hope she doesn't abort the baby. We need to, we need to talk to her about that baby. She needs to save that baby. Yeah, I know she's feeling a lot of love right now. This is, this is a place where we as the body have to let God circumcise our hearts afresh, I think. Because the church has got to be Jesus in the earth. And I, see, I, I think we read over this passage. I've read this passage in James many, many times. In earlier in my ministry and I would just read over this and it was like oh yeah I shouldn't compliment people too much one way or the other I should just you know treat everybody nice I think I think I think it's way deeper I think James is addressing something way deeper here the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself and I think that's what James is trying to get us to here now is that reality all right do you ever find yourself torn in this way about how you treat people? Is it, is it an issue? Is it ever an issue for you? I think it's not, I, I want to challenge you to look at it, you know. You, you know. There are people in the body of Christ who don't love certain people groups. It's not an individual. It's a, a, a group of people, all right? Now, now, James sort of makes a social argument here beginning in verse 5. And I, I appreciate this argument very, very much. Um, um, and, and he's still talking about the principle that's being violated here, partiality and favoritism, all right? But he says, he says listen, my, my brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you've insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into, into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering uh, the noble name of him to whom you belong? So he's got this, he's got this, this little argument going here. Uh, and and, and I, I, I want to I grab a hold of this too. I, I believe it's an important argument. Um, there, there are issues that, that Jesus addresses that are very social issues. They, they deal with, 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 with uh, the cha- social challenges in our, in, in our world. And we've got to deal with that. The Bible says we're always going to have the poor among us, all right? And, and when James is talking here, folks, he's not talking about our meaning that the rich cannot be saved. But he is trying to bring up something that I think is, 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 is very much important for us to understand. And that is that characteristically it is the poor who have the, the poverty of spirit, if you will, the humility to enter the kingdom of God. I personally think it's very challenging for a very wealthy person to, to uh, respond to God. 
And that, that seems to be the, the, the case I, I, even in, in the Scriptures, if you will. Hey, let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians. Just, just turn over to 1 Corinthians and look at, at uh, chapter 1. And look at verse 26. And look at, at what, when, when Paul writes to, to this church. And he's, he's talking about uh, response to, to Christ. He says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. All right. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. The self-sufficient don't respond very well to God. And, and, and in, in, the, in, the, in the context of, of this passage, as James is writing, often it was the aristocrat, the, the wealthy person, uh, uh, and that, that, that wealth that he, he had uh, accumulated enabled him uh, uh, to, to sort of buy power, to misuse power. And oftentimes Christians were misused by those in, 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 uh, of, of the aristocratic uh, status, okay? And so James, James sees this, and he, he understands this, all right? And it was the poor oftentimes who responded to the gospel. It was the poor who responded to Jesus, who, who went out to find Jesus and to, to hear Jesus and responded to that call. doesn't mean that wealthy people didn't because they did. There are examples in Scripture of wealthy people who did respond to Jesus and, and who followed Jesus. But it, it is very difficult for us when we... When we reach a point of success, when we reach a point of wealth, if you will. Now, when I, when I say wealth here now, I'm not talking about just dollars and cents, all right? But many of us are affluent. You know what? I, my wife and I were talking about that this, this week because we, we're, we, God's really challenged our heart about poor people, the people, people of poverty. And he's also really challenged our heart about this, this whole issue of starvation in the Horn of Africa right now. Uh, that grips me, uh, and, and it, 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 it disturbs me that America has so much wealth, but so many thousands of children are dying in Africa, and, and death is very imminent for them uh, if, if something isn't done drastic to, to help them. Uh, but there's poverty right here in Sioux Falls. There's poverty on the reservation. There's pov- poverty wherever, wherever we, we go here. But, but I, I want you to understand something, and, and that is that, that we are very blessed people, are we not? Do you, do you understand that? We are very, very blessed people. And, and if, you know, if, if you look around in Sioux Falls and, and you go to certain neighborhoods, you might not feel so blessed if you make comparisons, all right? And it's very easy to look at someone who is affluent or who is very wealthy and say, well, I don't, I don't have nearly as much as they do, so I'm lacking in some way. But the reality, if you, if you place yourself not in Sioux Falls or not in a wealthy neighborhood or not even in America itself, but place yourself in the context of the whole world, you are in the top wealthiest group of people in the world. 
just by virtue that you are Americans and that you have jobs and careers and you're making money. Folks, we've got a lot to be thankful for. We've got, we got a lot here that we have been blessed with. And, and, and the Bible says that, that to whom much is given, much is required. And so I, I want to challenge you and I that we begin to understand here that, that God has called us out to love our neighbor. And he's saying, hey, you know, the, the poor are here. And it's, it's, it's oftentimes the rich who oppress you. And, and, and yet, if one of them comes in the door, for some reason, you have this sort of shift and you, you honor them and you, you make them special and, and you, do, you do unique things for them and you give them a better place to, to, to sit in the assembly than you do the poor person who comes in. And James is just saying, that's not right. You know, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. So then he goes a little further and he says, if you really uh, keep the royal law, this is verse 8, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, and here's where he just says it, just throws it out there. Love, agape love, okay? Agape your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor with the highest form of love. When you do that, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin. And are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. This is where it gets hard. All right, This is where it gets tough. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. Folks, if we show partiality, we're, we stand condemned as sinners. We're convicted by the law in some sense of being a transgressor. He who keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. What does James mean here? This, this royal law here is the, is the summation of all law. Look, look at Romans chapter 13, verse 9. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever other commandments there may be are all summed up in the one rule. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, not har does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So he says, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep participating in this favoritism and this partiality, then you're a transgressor of the law. See, here's, here's the thing what we've got to understand. If we unfaithfully set it aside, all right, all right, we need to obey the law, all right? We've got to be willing to do whatever God commands us to do as the manifestation of love. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we have got to love our neighbor. If we unfaithfully set it aside, in, in, in one way, that is tantamount to violating everything. 
It's like it, it, it voids out all your good intentions. You can buy this building. You can hold worship services here. You can meet here and pray and seek God. You can have outreaches that, and you can, you can resource them out here on, on the lot. We're praying very much and, and about to, to move forward to try to buy this property over here on the corner. Because we believe we're going to expand. And, and we're, we're going to need that as the church grows. Okay? That's, in, that's something that we're wanting to do very quickly here. Okay? So, so we, can, we can acquire land in the neighborhood. We can set ourselves down in this neighborhood. We can walk the streets and pray for people. But folks, if we don't love our neighbor, we've missed the mark. We've missed the mark. See, see, all the law is a unit that stands upon one and the same authority, and that isn't you or I, it is God. And see, the, I, the, these, these Jews in, in the day of, of James, they, they could see, they could understand that, that um, uh, if, if, they, if they committed adultery or if they committed murder, that, that both were very specific expressions of a, a commandment. And that was a, or a violation of a commandment. And that commandment was love your neighbor. When you commit adultery, you don't love your neighbor. When you commit murder, you don't love your neighbor. All right? So, so one could, could, could not claim to be a keeper of the law because he did one, but he didn't do the other. To violate either was to violate the whole law. And, and in a similar way, showing partiality or favoritism was another way to violate the whole law. And you can go back in the law of Moses and, and see this, this, this commandment, all right? So, so showing partiality made one violate the law and, 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 and put, him, put him outside of, of, of mercy so to speak there except that we're not the judge we, we don't judge each other I'm not judging you in this I hope you're not judging me in this the point is not that we, we must obey God perfectly in every way to go to heaven it's that and, and, and that we can never sin or that we have to live under this salvation of perfect obedience the point is is that you and I cannot pick and choose which laws of God we're going to obey and still profess to be faithful obedient people Thank God we're under mercy. Thank God we're living under mercy here, okay? If we're going to be obedient to God, we will strive to do all that He says. Not just the things that are convenient to us. We're going to need to stop here. I'm going to go back to that, that, one, that one thing that, that I talked about last week that, that is so hard, and that is that, that but... I'll go into the neighborhood, but. I'll help with the outreach, but. I'll give, but. So we have these qualifiers that we put on obedience. And see, God says, uh-uh. No, 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 no. To obey. He didn't say to obey and qualify it. Or 
Be obedient. And yeah, you can work around it a little bit. Obey. Obey is better than sacrifice. And so I challenge you and I today, as, as we close out here, I, I, we'll pick it up from there next week. That you and I live the law of love. And that message of love has to be expressed for all men. I want you to, I want you, I want to close with this. Would you just close your eyes for a minute? And, and let me just, just close with this. Mercy, it boasts, you know, it triumphs over. It, it boasts against judgment. These are some difficult verses to wrestle with. But, but we stand in the mercy of God. And because we have received mercy, we must show mercy. Lest we find ourselves living under the law again. See, we can't go into that tree of judgment. Only God can go there. We must live in the tree of life. And here's, a, here's, here's some things that, that maybe will help you. So just close your eyes and just ponder this. And I want to pray for you. I want to tell you about three things here. I want you to understand something as we move forward as a body of Christ, as Life Church in this neighborhood and reaching out. And that is this. Number one, in every soul there is potential for spiritual greatness. There isn't a single soul out there that doesn't have potential. Don't diminish, don't demise, don't discount the potential of a soul. All right? God loves all men. This is the second thing. God loves all men and he sees their hearts, not their faces. He sees their hearts, not their circumstances. God goes first to the heart of a man. He'll take care of the other stuff, but he starts with the heart. And that's where you and I have to go. Then remember this. This is huge. Remember that whatever privileges we have, or that we have had, they are by God's grace and not by some right. We could have come into this world with all the disadvantages that make people discriminate. But again, to whom much is given, much is required. And then here's the last thing. God has accepted us in spite of our deficiencies. How can we treat anybody else any differently? Let me pray for you. God, as we sit before you this morning, I ask you to release the Holy Spirit over us in a very powerful way. I ask you, God, to open our hearts not only to the receiving of your agape love, but would you give us a generous and prosperous soul that we may in turn release that love to others. Would you sanctify our motives? Would you circumcise our hearts today? Would you give us eyes to see as you see from heaven, not from earth? Would you guard this church, life church, from falling into times of showing partiality and favoritism to certain kinds of people? Would you release us from wanting to stand in judgment of others? Would you help us to lay down any thought of having rights of some kind?
that we may become slaves to righteousness and obedient even unto death. Would you help us, God, that we would be Christ into this neighborhood in ways that we maybe have never been able to be before? God, work in our hearts, and would you forgive us for the times that we have violated mercy, acceptance, and love? And would you restore in our hearts your love for all people at all times, in all ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.